everybody. That wasn't some liturgical thing. I was just really saying good evening. Anyway, um, like, thanks be to God. That, that's good, too. Um, hey, a uh, couple things. What a wonderful church you have. And Mark and Beth are just such wonderful leaders that you have. I've, and I'm sure you're, by the claps, I know you're appreciative, you're appreciative of your church. But what I found in my ex- experience the last number of years is that church means so much more than we realize. And to find a good one, like Kingsway obviously is, is a blessing that we will never be able to fathom in the here and now, but I hope we can fathom it in the age to come. Amen? So tonight I want to uh, speak on something that um, is the first time I've ever given this sermon that hasn't been over a cup of coffee with a friend. Um, I don't preach very much anymore. I'm from Canada, from Thunder Bay, Ontario. Anyone from Thunder Bay, Ontario here tonight? Anybody ever eat a Persian in Thunder Bay, Ontario? Uh, That is, yeah, you got it. It's a dry cinnamon bun with wonderful pink icing on the top. It's amazing. Um, um, My wife and I planted a church in Thunder Bay, Ontario called Grassroots Church in 2002 is when that journey started, and we pastored that for 12 years and sensed that the Lord was leading us and our five kids out of Thunder Bay and into the, what the Americans call the Pacific Northwest. Raise your hand if you know what the Pacific Northwest is. See, you don't, do you? One person does. Okay, let's, you're on the spot. What is it? Oregon. It. Oregon, Washington, that, that, that northwest corner. So I went from northwestern Ontario to the Pacific Northwest, where Shawnee, my wife, is originally from. And we did our first 16 years of marriage and ministry in Thunder Bay and then went to Spokane, Washington for a new adventure. Um, and so I haven't really preached a lot over the last four and a half years. And when we moved to, was my title slide up? Yeah, this is my title slide. This is tonight's message. Humility wins. It's a hashtag. Do you know what that, isn't that clever? I know the Apostle Paul wrote, like, don't be too clever, but sometimes I disobey that command. (laughs) Humility wins in the digital age is what we're talking about tonight uh, you know what the digital age is? We, you knew what the Pacific Northwest was. Uh, the digital age is the age in which we live in now, where we're all connected online. And even more specifically, we're living in an age of just the beginning of the social media age. 2007 was the first iPhone, right? Raise your hand if your first iPhone was a 3G, just like me. Who had a 3G here, right? You felt awesome. You felt better than everybody else, right? And you walked down like, look at my 3G. Um, That all started then. And then all of a sudden, can you believe it? I'm 43 years old. When I was in high school, I would have never imagined we could have a computer in our pocket. Isn't that amazing? I don't even need a computer anymore. I got this. 
It's amazing. But the digital age, um, is, we're, fine. We're, we're just kind of doing it experimentally right now. And if you have kids growing up in the digital age where I have five teenagers, oh, I got to say their names, right? Got to say their names. Uh, our oldest, she just got married this past summer. I know. I, when I hang out with my daughters at a restaurant or something, I always say to the server, it's like, yes, my daughter and I would like a table for two. Because anyway, uh, anyway, so um, um, well, I distracted myself with that. Okay, so our oldest is Grace. That Shawnee had that name picked out. Why? The grace of God, right? The grace of God is the presence of Christ, the power that enables us who he wants us to be in the here and now and forever, right? So she got that one, so it was a girl. When we, uh, oh, speaking of computers, remember Windows 98 or Windows 95? Who remembers Windows 95? Give it up for Windows 95 and the talk and paper clip and all that, you know, and, uh, and now, and now, and now, and now, and now. Anyway, all oh, the pre-MacBook days where you couldn't end your program even though it was telling you to. Anyway, uh, Windows 95, we did a screensaver and we typed Grace or Keith is on the way when uh, Shawnee was pregnant with her first child. Because I had, she had the name Grace, I had the name Keith picked out. Anybody here know who Keith Green is? All right, yeah. You got it. And I love Keith Green. I, I never heard of him when he was alive, but I read No Compromise early on in my faith and uh, really resonated with a, a similar personality and I could understand him and his passion. So I wanted to name our son Keith. I wanted to name his middle name Green, but Shawnee wouldn't go that far. So we didn't give him a middle name at all. And then our middle child, her name is Hannah. And um, we just like that name, but it's also, what do you call it? A palindrome? Yes! You know what I'm talking about. You get me. She gets me. Anyway, and it's a perfect middle child name because you can spell Hannah the same frontwards and back. Right? And then we we're kind of, you know, the fourth child came along. We we're running out of names. So we named her Rainbow. Rainbow. And I'll tell you what, we were thinking Rainbow for a while. We were praying, God, show us a sign that we should call our daughter Rainbow. Show us a sign because we were thinking Keith Green, Jesus movement, hippies getting saved. Shawnee's mother was a hippie that got saved through the Jesus movement. We thought it was how maybe God could use our lives a little bit to help other people come to the Lord. And so we were thinking, are we going to be that crazy? Name her Rainbow. Shawnee's mom did not want us to name this baby Rainbow. Many people in my family, I don't think, actually wanted to, us for the name her Rainbow. But guess what happened? We, are, we had a, one of my mentors, my first mentor in learning the Bible, was visiting from Oregon to Thunder Bay. We were out together. This baby was just born. We were at Kelsey's. And Shawnee was saying, Steve, I'm praying that God will give us a sign. Show us a rainbow if we're supposed to name her rainbow. And Steve goes into this big theological thing. God, Shawnee, you can't ask God to change the weather just so you can name your baby. It's like many people depend on the weather. And God's concerned about a lot of different people, not just you naming your baby. And guess what happened? We're sitting in Kelsey's. It was sunny out. These dark clouds roll over. And Steve is like, no way, no way, no way, no way. These dark clouds come over. This huge storm just busts through. 
I'm getting goosebumps because I don't usually tell many people this story. This might be the first time I'm telling it publicly. What am I doing here? You've wrapped me up. Who is leading worship here? Who is that person? Where are you? Okay. That was great. That was like connecting with the Lord. You have such a wonderful voice. And you just, it invites people to sing. That was wonderful. Thank you. So anyway, um, rainbow. So the storm goes through. And I run outside because the sun's coming. And I look over the great Lake Superior. And what is there? It's appearing over the Starbucks sign. It's appearing. And what is it? The clearest double rainbow you've ever seen in your life above Lake Superior. In the testimony of two more witnesses, every word shall be established. Anyway, double rainbow clear made the front page of the newspaper the next day. I don't know why I'm telling you that. Anyway, so it's just a good story. It just builds faith, I guess, right? So I had to, I was drinking a lot of uh, bottomless iced tea at Kelsey's. So I had to go to the restroom which I had to do while worship was going on. If you see me, saw me, I was trying to manage. I was like, I'm really enjoying this worship, but I can't have to use the restroom while I'm preaching. So anyway, thank you. Um, so I went to the, the washroom, as you say, in Canada, and um, I'm standing there, you know, in the men's room, and I'm just thinking, hmm, while Rainbow was settled, what about a middle name? What's a middle name? What's a good middle name for Rainbow. So I, something came to my mind, and I walked back to the table, and Steve and Shawnee and Baby Rainbow were there at the table, and I said, I got a middle name. And then Steve and, what's that? <laughs> that would have been better. We weren't listening to the Lord clearly enough for that. But, so what happened was, uh, oh yeah, so I get back, and then Steve and Shawnee are like, we have a name too, but you go first. And I said, okay, I'll go first. And I said, rainbow promise. And Steve looked at me, and he said, you heard us. I'm like, no, I was at the urinal. <laughs> and he said, no, you heard us. We just came up, and Shawnee and I had never talked about the middle name promise. And so there it was, rainbow promise. And uh, I don't know, this is the faith-building story and why we named her Rainbow. And we believe that God is at work in our world. It's a promise that he'll work through our lives, right? He'll work in our lives, right? And then our final son, we're like out of names by that point. And uh, we're done praying for unicorns and all that to appear. And um, so uh, we named him Cephas. Do you know the name Cephas? It's from the New Testament. The Apostle Paul, that's the name he calls Peter. Is, you know, many of you say, I am of Apollos. I am of Cephas. And so we named him that. You know when you name your kid and you, you figure out you named him the right name? And it's like, yeah, he's a, totally a Cephas. And we're really happy with our five kids. Anyway, we went out to Spokane for an adventure, feeling that it was time for change, that God wanted to do new things in our, in our life. And... Um, I was going to Spokane thinking that everything would be, you know, maybe bigger and better from our lives. That I served as a pastor for 12 years, planted a church that's still going today, um, three years of youth ministry, 16 total years of vocational ministry, running a Bible school. I thought, I'm going to do greater, better and greater things in Spokane. So we get there, 
And what happens is that uh, the first two months were the sabbatical that we needed. It was. It was just beautiful being there. And after that, it became, began the hardest period of my life, struggling for four years. I lost my magic. I lost my mojo. I lost my voice. I could not articulate anything about God. I couldn't come, I couldn't write anything. I couldn't speak anything. And I was just every day praying, God, what is going on? And um, I got really disoriented. I didn't realize how much the move would disorient me. And I thought, God, I've screwed up. I've totally screwed up. I left a church that didn't want us to leave. And we left, think, expecting he was going to do a greater work through us. Little did I know that the work he wanted to do was in me. Now, i got to come up with a joke so I don't cry. Usually I think of some Michael W. Smith jokes to say, because that just helps me to laugh. But anyway, got to find my place in this world. All right. So little did I know that it was God going to be working in me, not through me. And that out of his mercy, he didn't let me stay the pastor that I was, the person that I was, because he knew things needed to change in me. So for the four years, it was failure after failure of things I tried. I don't know about you, if you've ever failed before in your life. But for me, um, the things I had set out to do as a young Christian before always worked. I mean, God showed us a double rainbow. <laughs> that builds a lot of confidence, doesn't it? And for the first time, everything was failing. It was like God pulled the plug on Chris Pahalchuk. And um, it, it, it was excruciating, painful. And for the first time in my life, I really experienced real failure over and over and over again in a foreign country with my wife and kids looking at me like, Dad, what's going on? What's going to happen to us? And with sparing you a lot of the painful details, by the grace of God, like, I did not fall into, like, any addictions or anything like that. There's, that's not a part of this story. Just a lot of stress, anxiety. I don't know. You may call it depression. I don't know. But just totally losing everything and experiencing humiliation. I understand failure now. Holy crow. But what I now also understand is that sometimes God needs us to be in a different place and a different experience in failures because he has work he wants to do to reshape us. So I thought it was just all me. And so I went through a time of really, you know, like, what am I doing? What did I do wrong? What's happening? But then something else I noticed changed at the same time. When I was in a new place and no job and trying to find work and all this kind of thing, I was so disoriented, but I also noticed something changing, and it was changing online, and it was changing on my Facebook news feed. Who has a Facebook account here? Deleted. Just kidding. Um, I noticed that my news feed started to change from family events and special celebrations and the occasional self-help blog post to 
political commentary and memes and some real attacks against basic Christianity. And even some of my friends were doing these things. And I'm like, is, did I just not notice this before? Or what in the world is going on? Well, I didn't think, I thought it was just me. I thought my world had changed in 2014 when we first got to Spokane. But you know what? It was the perfect storm for Chris Pahalchuk because our world also changed. Your world changed in 2014. The stats are in the tipping point of the digital age, of the social media age, was in 2014. That was the year, finally, everybody's grandma got a Facebook account. <laughs> Apologies, grandmas. That was the year that things got politically charged online. Remember how it used to be a thing that you don't really talk about your political views? And now it's like, you do? <laughs> it's like, I would like people a lot better if I didn't know all their opinions about things. Especially when they're just shallow memes that are all like, yeah, stick it to them with the meme. Remember the original Star Wars movie where Luke Skywalker's talking to Ben Kenobi for the first time, realizing who he is? And he's like, you fought in the Clone Wars? Now, you know, what our grandkids are going to say to us is, you fought in the meme wars? <laughs> you know, you were alive during that time? That's incredible. Raise your hand if scrolling through your Facebook news feed gets you down. Just raise it up. I want to see every hand if you feel overwhelmed emotionally when you're on Facebook and you just feel negative feelings from people you know and things like that. Raise your hand if it causes you to doubt aspects of your faith sometimes. Raise your hands. You can raise them here. That's fine. Oh, you're, you're all fine. I'm, okay, I'm... Well, that's all. Thanks be to God. This is the word of the Lord. Um, but I was, like, getting really depressed by looking at all this stuff. There is this algorithm. You know what an algorithm is? An algorithm is something that takes all of your activity online, crunches those numbers trillions of times every second, and then that determines what Facebook or Instagram or YouTube is going to show you. It gets in your head better than you're in your head. Did you know that it used to be like what you clicked on, that's what was online forever, like that history? You know what it is now? Even what you stop on when you're scrolling. Facebook knows when you're offended by your friend who just posted some crazy, wacky thing that you're like, why? Why is that person being so vengeful and resentful and all like holier than thou and self-righteous? Facebook knows that you hovered on that. So that's why they keep showing you things. They don't care if you're aggravated, if you're happy about it. All they want is what gets your attention. And it's all created to make you a crack addict with being online, being on our phones, being with screens all the time. And as we talked about in the parenting seminar today, that's also designed for our kids. And that's why it's a very, very experimental and dangerous time with our kids now all have these devices. And it's not just the real bad things that we used to think of. It's just thought patterns. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2 talks about not being conformed to this present age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. The algorithm is what's conforming us these days. Right in there, getting in there and making us feel and making a, getting our attention and wanting us to 
getting us to want more of what gets us down. It's really strange. So I began to think like, okay, how do we be Christian within all this stuff? What, oh, I want to show you a stat, one of the numbers, okay? Are you ready for this? Let's bring up uh, the graph. There's just one stat, and I got this from a book that I've been reading, uh, that I read a few months ago called The Coddling of the American Mind. These are American stats, but I'm sure, you know, we're right next door, right? So these things flop over, especially in the digital age. These are just the stats for hospital admissions for non-fatal self-harm of boys. See, along the year, 2001, 2003, all the way to 2015, how do those numbers look for the different age groups? Age 20 to 24, 15 to 19, 10 to 14. You can see it's like pretty steady, right, for boys. Um, so these are, these are instances not of people saying, I think I'm depressed or I feel depressed or I think I have a, you know, something emotional issue. These are people admitted to the hospital because they've harmed themselves. Self-harm. Now bring up the girl chart. Um, so look at ages 15 to 19. Up 62% since 2009. What happened in 2007, 2008, 2009? Finally, we got our three Gs, right? Then we got, upgraded our phone and we gave it to our kids. And then everyone got the apps for social media. This is a major part of what's going on in our minds, and not just our minds, but our kids, and especially girls. Look at the stats here. Let's, um, and if you notice, the further back you go, the younger you are, the more that you've already been raised with social media. It's not a new thing. The worse it is. Look at ages 10 to 14-year-old girls. Look at, by 2014, look at how much self-harm admissions has increased. You're reading it right, 189% increase of young girls harming themselves. I thought my world had changed in 2014. It did. But it was the perfect storm for Chris Pahalchuk because the rest of the world was changing too. This is just one stat I'm showing you and there's a lot more where this came from. And yes, this is about young girls because that seems to really hit our hearts the most, right? But it's affecting all of us. And it's challenging our Christian witness. How do we go about it? How do we live Christian within this digital age? Humility wins in the digital age. And I don't have a whole bunch of practical applications for you today. I want to inspire your minds for you to come up with solutions and vision for yourself and how you're going to navigate and, be a, and bear witness to the truth in the midst of this age that we live within. But there's three things I want to talk about humility tonight. Three things. One, and we're going to do it as quickly as I can. One is repentance. One is mercy. And one is meekness, what we need to be Christian in the digital age. Three different forms of humility that maybe we can start praying about, thinking about, and cultivating in our, in our witness. Repentance. Mark chapter 1.
and verse 15, Jesus said, The time is fulfilled. God's kingdom is arriving. Turn back and believe the good news. Or in this version here, the time promised by God has come at last, he announced. The kingdom of God is near. Repent of your sins and believe the good news. In the digital age, it's like any age, it's important that we repent. That we confess what we've done wrong when we become aware of it. And we turn the direction of our lives and we say, no, I'm not going to do that anymore. I'm going to let that go. I'm going to get rid of that. I'm going to go in a new direction. Change of mind, change of heart, change of life. I'm going to turn back to God and I'm going to keep pursuing him. You know what's so hard about the digital age is that I don't know what voices you're hearing, but what I'm seeing all over the place is that in the digital age, when you screw up once and people find out about it, you're a piece of human trash. And you know, I, for these past four and a half years, I've been thinking, God, like, the faith is like, is it becoming irrelevant? Like, how do we battle all this? Like, what's going on? And I'm realizing now it's like, no, it's just, it's the storm before the rainbow. It is a preparation, it seems like, for the gospel of forgiveness to break into our world again in a fresh way. Because if you have society saying you're a piece of human trash, you're no good, you're not welcome back, a lot of society now has turned into the older brother in the parable of the prodigal son. Dad, why are you letting this guy back? He ruined it all. But God is still the father of the younger son in the prodigal son story, right? That receives the son back and slaughters the fatted calf for barbecued beef celebration. That's still our God in the midst of the digital age. And so churches and our witness and our relationships with people is that we are going to have to continue to get better and better at articulating the gospel of forgiveness for people. That if they've screwed up, they actually still qualify. No one's a piece of human garbage. And as Christians... We should never be caught speaking like that about anybody. Jesus said himself, like you call someone raka or empty head or you fool, you're in danger of the fires of Gehenna. That's what he said. We have to watch how we speak. And in the digital age, a lot of the ways that we speak, yeah, we speak in person, but we also speak online, right? We have digital tongues and how we send that, those sharp swords out there and those arrows towards people. As Christians, we are called to a different standard, a different way of bearing witness to the truth. For me, uh, repentance has boiled down in my life, and this is me processing my own journey of maybe some naive decisions or foolish decisions or delusions of grandeur, whatever they are, is I just keep on picturing Jesus' story, his parable about the two guys that went out to pray at the temple. Nod your head if you know what I'm about to say. The two guys that went out to pray at the temple, one is a Pharisee, and I don't want to be a Pharisee because they're not fair, you see. No, um, one's a Pharisee, and one is a tax collector, somewhat of a traitor to, in the Jewish people's eyes. And Jesus says that the Pharisee goes and prays, thank God I'm not like this piece of human trash. 
I'm not this and I'm not that. And have you noticed with the digital age, there's all this new morality out there? All these new words that we never used five years ago. You're a misogynist. Like, okay, I mean, yeah, why are we, where is all that? It's so, and there's so many, thank God I'm not a misogynist, like this piece of human trash. But then Jesus says that the person, the tax collector, he doesn't say, thank God I'm not like this Pharisee. <laughs> what does he say? Lord, be merciful to me, misser of the mark that I am, or sinner that I am. Sin means missing the mark, missing the target. Lord, be merciful to me, misser of the mark that I am. Uh, that is my new theology, my systematic theology, my doctrinal statement. It, for me, it's just like, Lord, the only thing I want to make sure I'm not is unrepentant. I, I just want to make sure I'm repenting. I want to make sure, Lord, that I can't lift myself above anybody else. I'm before you thanking you for your mercy upon my life, the mister of the mark that I am. I've been aiming with my life, and sometimes I hit the target, but Lord, the past four years, I've just been not knowing what to aim at, and I've been missing whatever I've aimed at. But Lord, thank you for your mercy. Thank you, God, that you're into changing Chris Pahalchuk. Thank you that you didn't just leave me coasting, but you worked all things together for the good to me. Show me some light about my life and about myself and how to move forward. Next, after repentance. Oh, here's one thing I want to say about repentance. A part of the new morality that's in our society now is this thing about we repent. We're called to repent for things that we never did. Thank God I'm not like this, you know. We're called to like, we need to forgive I don't want to give any examples because it'll just be so politically charged. I just need you to know what I mean. Jesus spoke in parables not to make things more understandable. He spoke in parables to hide his message so that those who have ears to hear could hear it. He spoke his message so that the people around, it wasn't pearls before swine. And so if you can just hear me at this time, think about the things that are happening in our culture where there's all these apologies offered for what, was, what had happened at previous times that that person never did. Well, then what happens is the person who apologizes for things they never did doesn't apologize for what that person did. For those of you to hear, let them hear. And so don't allow the digital age, the algorithm to get in your head that you have somehow you need to be, feel guilty for things you never did and that you need to repent for. Repent for what you did, not what you didn't do. You know what I'm saying? Don't allow that guilt and shame to cover you. Next one is mercy. Mercy, do we have, there we go. That's pretty simple, pretty straightforward. Uh, but mercy, let's go to Luke chapter what is my Luke reference here? Oh, thank you. How did you know that? I thought the Lord showed you a double rainbow. Uh, Luke chapter uh, 10, verse 37. This is at the end of the parable of what we usually call the Good Samaritan. And Jesus asked the question, in the eyes from the guy in the ditch. Like, I always used to think the Good Samaritan parable was like, like a security camera. You know, like watching the 
priest and the Levite go by, and then the Samaritan, and the Samaritan helps the guy in the ditch. It's not a security camera. It's a GoPro on, on the guy's head who's in the ditch. So Jesus asks, is specifically how Jesus asked the question, in, who, in his eyes, through the eyes of the guy in the ditch, who is his neighbor? He says, well, the one, what's he say? The one who showed him mercy. Well, go and do the same. And of course, Samaritans and Jews had, that's the greatest hostility, like many different versions of that in our world today. But that is radical right there, radical mercy. It's been hip to talk about empathy for a long time, the last 10 or 15 years. Like, it's not sympathy, it's empathy. I'm empathetic, not sympathetic. Sympathetic, what's that? That's a, that's a Hallmark card. I'm empathetic. I'm in your shoes. I feel your pain. Therefore, I can't help you at all with any kind of challenging words because you have feelings. And we've, and you can read about this in the book I mentioned earlier, like where those stats came from, The Coddling of the American Mind, written by an atheist who talks about how this is all the new way that people are beginning to see things, and it's crazy. Sympathy, okay. You know, that's like expressing, you know, too bad what you've gone through. Empathy is trying to get yourself in the shoes of the person, or maybe you have a similar experience, and so you feel a certain way, or, or you can understand the feelings. That's good, too. I'm not against that. Go with it. Sympathy. Go deeper with empathy. But Christianity goes one step deeper in humility. And what it is, it's mercy. It's reaching out to what our culture should tell us are the human pieces of trash. And we actually have mercy. Mercy is not just a feeling. Mercy is just not some ideas. Can we go back to that scripture? What is mercy? The one who showed him mercy? Yes, now go and do the same. People love ideas. Oh my goodness, don't we love ideas? They're just so fun sometimes. Like, I'm not really a manly man. I'm not. I'm not into, like, stuff and, well, I do have large biceps. But I'm not into, like, things and, and building things. I'm really useless in that. I was never good at Qbert either. Too 3D for me. But anyway... I like, I'm interested in people and ideas. That's what gets me going. Um, but mercy isn't just an idea. It's doing, it's action. It's getting in the ditch with the person by the side of the road and helping them out of that. Even if that person stands for everything we stand against. And that's not, that, that's across the spectrum in our society today. That is the challenge of the mercy the humility that wins in the digital age, the challenge of Jesus in our lives. Okay, the final one. And this is meekness. Meekness. Have you heard like the, uh, it's kind of a cliche, but it's true. Meekness is not weakness. Have you heard that one? Um, meekness is another form of humility, but what does meekness mean? Meekness is bridled strength or a harnessed strength. You can't not talk about horses when you talk about meekness. I guess the word meek comes from, uh, I guess, what, like, 
the Roman armies would do. They would go out and find like wild stallions and meek them, like cause them to be war horses and to bridle their strength so they could control it and a little tap and all that kind of stuff. This is what Chris Pahalchuk needs. This is like work in progress for me right now. What God has shown me about my life is that at one point in my Christian life, I had meekness. I had bridled strength. I understood, you know, the wisdom, some, some wisdom of God, and I was able to challenge people with that. But somehow I got derailed in those things, and I, I got really insecure, and I lost. And it was probably before we moved to Spokane, maybe, but tell you what, being so disoriented in Spokane, that made me feel really weak. And then the digital age and the social media age and the 2014 tipping point, that made me feel really weak. All the new words people were talking about, the new morality and ethics, and it's okay now for a Christian to call someone a human piece of trash. I'm like, where are we going? What, what is going on here? I felt really weak. I hope that a part of the last four and a half years of my life is that God is teaching me meekness. That we, as Christians, we have a strength, but we need to learn how to use it appropriately and wisely. Go to James. Let's see. Um, we can make a large horse go wherever we want by means of a small bit in its mouth. That's a meek horse. What is James, for any Bible scholars out there, what is James 3? What's the context of this? What is James, the brother of Jesus, old camel knees from all his praying? What was he talking about? Doers of the word and the tongue. He talks about like the bridling a horse. Taming a horse is like, we need to tame our tongue. In the digital age, it's once again a digital tongue. That it's so easy to anonymously hate on somebody and leave comments. Who is, just raise your hand if you've ever been hurt by something that someone posted online. Anyone ever been hurt by something? I'm not going to ask you for examples, but just raise your hand if you've ever been hurt by something. I mean, that kind of form is not meekness. That's cowardly to do those things, especially if you're anonymous. But you know what's weird about us in the digital age? Even if someone who's anonymous says, you're a goofball. Well, no. You're a rocker, empty head. No. You're a human piece of garbage. It affects us, doesn't it? It's the, even if it's anonymous and it's whatever, such a weird power it has. But meekness is bridled strength. And in order to be meek, we have to have some strength to harness. And so the encouragement, I guess, for me, I'm just preaching at myself right now, is that Chris, you got to step out and you have to do things that are outside of your comfort zone in the digital age, which is just landmines everywhere of what can blow up in your face when you bear witness to the truth and be a Christian. Now, that's a, I'm just speaking generally, right? There's a lot that needs to be learned to really have that strength in here and strategy. I mentioned Jesus and his use of parables. Many times we think we've heard that Jesus uses parables. So it's like, well, they're all farmers. So we talked about farming. It's like, okay. But also everything Jesus talked about were Old Testament images about God's people. 
And so he's kind of, for those who have ears to hear, I'm talking about God's people and what God is doing in the world, in his people, through Jesus, reorienting the story around himself. And he did that in a way that would not get him crucified right away. Because what happened when Jesus finally did something straight out in the public? He got crucified. That last final week where he's very straightforward. Anyway, meekness. One more passage, and then I'll do my closing point. Uh, let's go to John. I think it's 17 or something. If you want to learn more about meekness and how to stand against the powers that be in our world today, Jesus standing before Pontius Pilate is such a wonderful example. You know, Pontius Pilate was a pretty evil guy. If you just do a little Wikipedia search on him, you can read all about the horrendous things that he did that aren't written in the Gospels. He kind of looks almost like a good guy in the Gospels. Like, hey, I didn't really want to crucify him, but hey, okay, I guess we will. Anyway, he was a horrible guy. And how Jesus spoke to Pontius Pilate was with humility and meekness. Here's one, just the one clip. Pilate said, so are you, you're a king. Jesus responded, you say I am a king. Actually, I was born and came into the world to testify to the truth. All who love the truth recognize what I say is truth. That's how Jesus summed up what his mission was, was to bear witness to the truth. That's what our mission is. But we do that in a spirit of meekness. We do that with bridled strength. We just don't go crazy. We don't just blah, blah, blah. We don't send out our darts against everybody. It's quite the project to learn how to confront something that's evil, like what Pontius Pilate was doing, but do it in the spirit of Christ. He, Jesus never said to Pontius Pilate, you're a human piece of trash. What he said to Pontius Pilate was that you'd have no authority unless my Father in heaven granted it to you. Like, mind blown. Like, imagine, like, I just wish I could be like that online and just be like Jesus, like, roasting everybody with these, like, crazy, mystic, whatever. You know, it's awesome. Let's, let's end this now. We're going to go with some bang, bang, bang slides. Spokane. Can you bring up Spokane? Now, it's not pronounced Spokane. A lot of Canadians say that, and people from the eastern states. It's Spokane, all right? So I went to Spokane thinking it was Spokane. Like, I can. Like, I'm going to go to this new place, do these great things. It's too close to home that something else that James wrote in his epistle. Don't go and say, we're going to move to this town and do all these things. That one's too close for home that I'm not going to share publicly. I just did. Um, Spokane. And then, after a year or two being there, it turned into Spokant. <laughs> no matter how hard I tried, just failed, failed, failed. Please apologize. I apologize for this cheesy way of explaining it. I'm a dad and a preacher. It's a double whammy in the humor department, okay? Spokane. And then one day, I heard a message about, from Jeremiah, a message about God being the potter and that we're the clay. And how the final act of God reshaping a vessel is to put it in the kiln. And fire it up to the hottest, the highest, hottest degree for the longest time until it's perfectly baked. And if the pot could talk, it would say, Potter, what are you doing to me in here? 
I'm burning up. I can't take it anymore. Raise your hand if you've ever had a I can't take it anymore. Well, you know what the potter would yell into the kiln? Yes, you can. And I know just how much you can take. That's what I call Spokane now. <laughs> Spokane. Uh, apologies to anyone who lives there. Uh, no, it's a great place for many people. But for me, it was the place of God reshaping me and firing me up as a new vessel. And really the thing about being God's vessel is that we don't control how he uses us. Is that he shapes us, he forms us into whatever he wants to. We don't argue with the potter, what are you making? Or how are you going to use me? We just, our job is to respond well, to repent, to show mercy, to act in meekness. And then it's up to the potter how he chooses to use that vessel. Amen? Now we just moved to Bloomington. And I realized on the plane ride here, I rode Spirit Airlines, so it doesn't have TV because the plane tickets are so cheap. Like 43 bucks one way, isn't that awesome? And um, so, well, I mean, I had to drive from Detroit and rent a car. It was a bit complicated, but no TVs. And so you have to actually have to think. And I thought, wait a minute, Lord. We live in Bloomington now. Bloomington, Minnesota, just outside Minneapolis, where the Mall of America is. Bring your kids to Nickelodeon Universe and go down the log chute with Chris Pahalchuk. Lord, maybe, maybe there's something in that that at this time, God, we're ready to bloom in our lives. I don't know. Maybe I'm reading too hard into these things. Maybe my wife is nuts for praying that God would show us a rainbow to name her baby. I don't know. We're kind of crazy. It's gotten us into a little bit of trouble in the last four and a half years. But... In God's economy, he knew it's what I needed. And I thank God for being merciful upon me, the mister of the mark that Chris Pahalchuk is. Oh, the wisdom and mercy of our Heavenly Father. Glory to him. Amen.